Hello, my name is Maria Vaitsevovinans, and I'm glad to welcome you once again at my podcast, Exploring the Art Market. For those of you listening for the first time, I'm an IP lawyer, mediator, and business writer, passionate about the world of art and eager to look at it from legal, financial, and technological perspectives. In the previous episodes, I talked about mediation of art-related disputes and pondered whether the art market is in a bubble. I will put the links to those first two episodes in the notes to this podcast. Today, I would like to build on the second episode and discuss the issue of the value of an artwork. How is the value determined? Which components play a role when one artwork is valued above a million euros while the other is barely getting up to a hundred? In other words, let's have a peek behind the curtain of the mysterious world of the value of art. The famous art critic of The New Yorker, Peter Sheldahl, once said it pretty harsh. Quote, any price, many millions, a buck fifty, paid for any work of art is absurd. Or call it fiduciary poetry. People keep noting that the value of art is strictly subjective, but that truth sinks in only so far, if at all. Whether you agree with this statement or not, many millions are regularly changing hands in the world of art. The Nathaniel Kant's documentary The Price of Everything emphasizes this far-reaching speculation mania where art collectors are more obsessed with the classic financial world's principle of buy low, sell high than with the actual art. Greed seems to have become the name of the game. Truth must be told that art market is also a huge market. In 2018 it has already reached $67.4 billion and is believed to be further growing. But are there more actual sales or have the prices per artwork sold increased significantly? Is it still about the intrinsic appeal of art? Or art sales are nowadays mainly driven by investment or better profit considerations? The results of the survey conducted by Deloitte last year show that indeed 76% of art collectors consider their collections as investments. Moreover, the same report says that, for example, in the US, art-secured lending market was estimated to be worth between 17 and 20 billion dollars. Thus, art is more and more seen as a strategic asset. Well, this does not necessarily mean that the intrinsic value of art is not recognized. However, it does raise a question of whether it is as important as the art's earning potential. In the light of all I've said, the question which comes to mind is, how is the value of art defined? Where do those numbers come from? Why Pollock was sold for almost the same price as Klimt? And how come Van Gogh was sold for half of that price? Is it really half as valuable as Pollock? To begin with, obviously, price does not equal value. The value is supposed to be a much broader term historical value, personal value, those aspects are close to impossible to put a number to, and yet it is being done. The chairman of the fine arts division at Sotheby's, Amy Capelazzo, in the already mentioned documentary The Price of Everything, when talking about the work of Matisse, admits that it's priceless in theory, but adds that in reality you start with priceless, and then you work your way backward. In other words, in determining the market value, one has to put a philosophical assertion of priceless aside and follow the valuation steps. Sotheby's experts, for instance, step-by-step -step look at the following 10 criteria. Author, condition, 
rarity, provenance, historical importance, size, fashion, subject matter, medium, and quality. Some of these criteria are easily definable, like for example size or medium. Some others, like historical importance or fashion, are by definition subjective and fluid. Those criteria will also have a different weight in the final estimate. For example, in the primary market, such criteria as size usually play a very important role, while in the secondary market, the main driver of value would probably be the supply and demand, thus rarity and fashion. To note that there are likewise a lot of nuances to be taken into account for each of the above criteria. For example, let's take rarity. It's not only about the quantity and periodicity of the offer of the particular artwork on the market, but what also matters is the ownership of other works by the same author. You see, if most of the works are in private hands, they're potentially available, even if an owner claims that she will never sell. At the same time, if the other works are in museums, they're likely not available, because most museums are prohibited from selling. Another aspect to consider is if an artwork appears at auction and fails to sell, thus becomes a bought-in, it adversely affects its value, irrespective of the initial estimates. What's more, it usually matters whether the work is made in editions or it is a unique piece, if you're not Jeff Koons, of course. Ernst & Young and Outer Art Report, The Science Behind Valuing Art, gives a seemingly easy equation for art valuation. Value of art equals the sum of artistic value, social value, and commercial value to the power of artist's brand. If only that would have been so simple. Artistic value is further defined as including the quality and significance of an artwork. Social value is supposed to reflect the level of influence of the artwork, while the commercial value deals with extrinsic attributes. According to the report, a quantum leap in price occurs when the artist starts indulging in concept shows and his or her work starts featuring in auctions. There are two distinct approaches to art valuation. The first one is benchmark value, as the most practical, relatively fast and undemanding approach. And the second is appraisal value, which incorporates the findings of the benchmark value appraisal and additionally includes an intensive analysis like historical, stylistic, forensic, scientific, etc., to establish the authenticity and provenance, as well as a study of references, details of restoration, if any, and other classic criteria. Benchmark value, as the name suggests, centers on the comparable artwork, adjusted for size, adding the value enhancers, which can be, for example, a, a signature style or a creative subject, and subtracting the value dampeners, for example, if the work is very recent. Nevertheless, the report still concludes that the largest influencer of value is the perceived value to a buyer and the charismatic power of artworks on those who would like to possess them. There are, of course, more approaches to art valuation than the ones defined by Ernst & Young, and notably, all of them have the purpose of valuation as the starting point. Is art valuation done for tax planning purposes, for estate distribution, for insurance or loan collateral purposes, or maybe for charitable contributions. Depending on the purpose, there will be a different approach towards art appraisal. 
For donations or estate valuations, fair market value will be established. It is generally calculated lower than replacement value used for insurance coverage. Liquidation value, which is affected by forced or limiting conditions as well as time constraints, will probably be the lowest. Thus, knowing the purpose of valuation is of course an important first step in the art appraisal. Nonetheless, insurance and taxation aside, and coming back to the Pollock versus Van Gogh dilemma, how does one actually pinpoint the number for the market? Michael Findlay, in his book The Value of Art, Money, Power, Beauty, claims that the commercial value of art is based on collective intentionality. This means that, pretty much as with the stock market, if collectors, or should I better say investors, believe in the financial potential of the particular artwork, it is likely to fetch a high buck. The stock market uses indices, so by this logic the art market should use them as well. It also does. Probably the best known of the art market indices is the May Moses Index, developed by NYU Stern professors Jean-Ping May and David Moses in the early 2000s. Yet the problem with this particular index is that it uses a repeat sales method. Thus, obviously, only repeat sales are included for the sake of calculation. And which is more, only public repeat sales. Given that public repeat sales account for around one-sixth of all sales, this index can only give a very approximate and largely biased data. Good as an add-on, but bad as a basis for estimations. In his rather critical article, Art Values or Money Values, Donald Cushpit emphasized yet another aspect which affects art valuation – nationality or country of origin. For instance, when he was talking about Norman Rockwell's Lincoln the Rail Splitter, Cushpit pointed out that there is no escaping the fact that national pride is responsible for the high price. In other words, it matters where the artwork comes from, but also where it is being sold. An additional factor influencing the market value mentioned in the Ernst Young report is the seller's reasons for selling a particular work, and it goes both ways, also the buyer's reasons for buying. In this sense, as Tim Schneider concluded in one of his weekly opinion columns, the ultra-wealthy sometimes like to pay as much as possible, strictly to show their peers that they can. To illustrate this point, aside from the sale of the notorious Salvador Mundi, sometimes the large sums of money are paid not because, but in spite of all odds. Like, for example, in the acquisition of Maurizio Catalan's hymn by Jewish mega-collector Stefan Edlis. So, Sotheby's criteria, a range of nuances, Ernst & Young valuation formula, indices, sellers and buyers' reasons, nationality and place of sale, Numerous other factors, and yet, whatever the final number, is this a true expression of the art's value? If we are not evaluating an artwork as a strategic investment, but if we primarily concern ourselves with its, let's call it, higher value, historical, cultural, personal, how do we ever put a number to it? I would like to conclude today's episode with a quote by the world-famous art forger Hans van Meeren. Yesterday, this picture was worth millions of guilders, and experts and art lovers would come from all over the world and pay money to see it. Today, it's worth nothing, 
and nobody would cross the street to see it for free. But the picture has not changed. What has? That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it interesting. And if so, I would appreciate if you give the podcast a five-star rating. All comments and suggestions are very welcome, either in the comment section below or directly to my email, which I will mention in the notes to this episode. Thanks again for being with me today. My name is Maria Baitsova-Wienans. Till next time on Exploring the Art Market.